Okay, now I'm on. I had forgot to do this while ago. And I apologize for that. What was I making? Open your Bibles. Oh, thank you. Open your Bibles this morning to Ruth chapter 3. We're going to do things a little bit different this morning. I uh, felt like God was moving on my heart as I was sitting there uh, thinking about the service and uh, what we, uh, where we were at in our country and just the things going on. As you're flipping to Ruth chapter 3, if you remember last week we started the sermon... Ruth prepares herself for Boaz. Ruth prepares herself for Boaz. We covered point one last week, and now we're going to cover point two and three today. But as you're flipping there, it is Veterans Day this upcoming week. Am I not? I'm great on that. All right, make sure I have my dates right. Uh, and, of course, we have a beautiful table set up over here for veterans, and that's, that's remembering everybody that's ever served in our country. So I'd like to stop just for a moment. If you served in, our, in the military in any form or fashion, here in our country, I'm going to ask you if you would to please stand. And stay standing for a moment. Don't, don't just sit back down. I want to be able to look at you. I've uh, got Brother Kenny in the back. I know he's back there. I don't want you all to overlook him. If you would, everybody else give them a round of applause. And <laughs> you guys can be seated. And I just want you to know how appreciative we are for your sacrifice and for your commitment to our country. Uh, I don't know where we'd be without the men and the women throughout the years, and I say years, all the way back to when our country was founded, for the men and women that have stood on our behalf on the front lines and have fought in wars, and, and um, I often think about it from this perspective that I'm able to lay down in my bed at nighttime safely and sleep without worrying because of people like you that are standing somewhere else making sure that we are safe every time we go to bed. For that, I'm very appreciative. I don't think we say thank you enough in our country to those who have served, and I think we should do a better job at it. Something I want to do this morning, and I had not planned on doing this, but it's something that God has prompted my heart to do, and if you can't, come, you can't do this this morning, that's okay. Uh, I know we're supposed to be being safe. I know we're supposed to social distance, but again, if you feel safe and led to do this, do this for me this morning. If you don't, you can stay right where you're at. If you're able and you're not worried about getting sick, I'm going to ask that you would get up and let's come down to this altar this morning. If you're able, if you're not able to kneel at the altar, you can stand or you can sit on the front row or you can stay right where you're at. Church, hear me. Our country needs us to pray this morning. And it's not because of who might be the president. It might be that our system is so broken that we don't even know who the president is yet. And I know we see the numbers, but nobody in our government has declared that yet. The, the media is. And I'm not upset about who the next president might be. Matter of fact, if you'll come back to church tonight, I plan on preaching a sermon on that. I'm not upset about who the next president might be. I'm just upset that we live in a country that some underhandedness might be going on and that our, our system is so broke. Listen, as a whole, our country has turned its back on God. Okay, That's the big issue, is we're not the godly nation that we should be, and we're not serving God the way we're supposed to. So this morning, I'd like to encourage you to pray for our country, pray for our, our political system, pray for our, our election system, pray for Trump, pray for Biden, pray for everybody involved that God's will would be done and that God's people would find themselves back on their faces before Him praying and seeking His will to be done in our lives and that God would forgive us for all the things that we've done that we shouldn't be doing and how we have neglected Him. So if you would pray this morning and I'll lead us in this prayer. Father God, I just thank You so much, Lord. I thank You for, God, for allowing us the opportunity to be able to gather back into Your house. God, we're not, uh, we're not upset this morning so much as who might be the president. God, I'm just upset this morning because of how far we've come from you. Lord, we're not a nation who seeks you anymore. Uh, I believe there's a lot of good Christian folks throughout our, church, throughout our, our country and our churches that God still seek you. But as a whole, Lord, we're not a country that seeks you anymore. And, Lord, I believe we were founded upon those principles. But, Lord, those principles don't even apply so much anymore. Lord, we, 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 we're so immoral. We're, 
our country as a whole supports killing unborn babies. God, we support homosexuality and transgender rights, God, when in your word it says that that is wrong and that is an abomination to you, that you declared marriage to be between one man and one woman. In any other way that we do it, God, we're not setting up a system in our country based on what we think. We're doing that in, in your face. We're, we're throwing that in your face and saying, God, you don't know what is right. We know what is right. God, we support so many things in our country that's so ungodly. Lord, we need to be on our faces today before you, asking you to please forgive us of our sins and all the wrongdoings that we've done. Lord God, I, I can't change how our country goes. I, I can't change how they voted in another state or another city. I, I can't do any of those things. But Lord, I can change this morning how I, how I behave. And I can change how I act as a Christian. I can change what goes on at my house. And God, I can be a part of the change that goes on here at Waynesville Baptist. Lord, I can't control a lot of things, but I can't control me. And Lord, this morning, if there's anything in advance that's not right, God, if there's anything in my heart and life that's, that's got in between me and you, Lord, I ask you to forgive me this morning and help me to be the Christian that you need me to be. I pray you would help me to be part of the change for the good, not the bad. Lord, I, I do pray for, for President Trump this morning. God, I pray for Biden. I pray for our country and, and the system as a whole. And God, if there was any underhandedness, if there's any cheapness going on, Lord, how wrong that is. But God, we just want our country to be back where it needs to be at with you, regardless of who the president is. Lord, all these things that we stand for that's wrong, God, break our hearts. I don't know how we can be Christians and stand for those things because they're, they're things that you don't stand for. God, may our hearts be troubled this morning. May they be broken. May we not sleep good at nighttime, Lord, until we get our heart and life right with you. God, help us to be the change in our country. Help us not to give up. Help us not to throw up our hands and quit. But God, that we would live our lives for you regardless of what goes on in Washington, D.C. God, that I should live for you regardless but, Lord, this morning I just thank you. I thank you for all of my blessings, all of the blessings that we have experienced throughout the years here in America. God, I'm thankful for all the people that have served in the military and fought and died for our rights. And, Lord, this morning I just, uh, I just want to pray you bless them special for their sacrifice and their commitment. But, Lord, I also want to pray that our hearts be broken today, Lord, for the things that breaks your heart. God, may this not be a one-time deal. May we find ourselves on our faces every day crying out to you, God, for you to heal our land. And we pray all this today in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for you coming down to the altar this morning. I know uh, that might have been a challenge for some, and I know we're worried about social distancing. But if you were here last Sunday, we preached on Ruth chapter 3, verses 1 through and 5, and we talked about Ruth prepares herself for Boaz. And point number one was wash yourself, because that's one of the things that Naomi had told Ruth to do, that she was to get up and wash herself. And so today we're going to look at point two and point three. And so if you are in Ruth three this morning, verse one, am I echoing or is it me? I'm echoing a little bit. I thought I could hear myself, Brother Andy. I wasn't sure. But if you say so, then it, I'm not crazy. It's, we're both hearing it. Ruth chapter three, verse one says, Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you? that it may be well with you. Now Boaz, whose young women you were with, is he not our relative? In fact, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Therefore, wash yourself and anoint yourself, put on your best garment and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. Then it shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies and you shall go in, uncover his feet, and lie down, 
and he will tell you what you should do. And he said to her, All that you say to me I will do. Let us pray over the reading of God's word this morning. God, we just want to bow once again, Lord. We're thankful for your word. We're thankful for the truth that is spoken to our life this week and the weeks before. Father God, we just want to pray that you'll continue to speak this morning through your word. And God, as we think about uh, washing ourselves and anointing ourselves and preparing ourselves, God, uh, as Ruth had to do there to, to go before Boaz, Lord, may we be conscious today, Lord, that we need to be right as we come before you. Lord, we know we're sinners, but we're sinners saved by grace. And God, uh, we, can, we can do better probably than what we're doing. I know that's how I felt this week. That, Lord, I need to not just come before your presence, but God, I need to come confessing my sins and make sure that, Lord, I'm living the life that you've called me to live. So I pray that you would speak into our heart and life today through your word. God, may you be glorified. May you be honored. And God, if there's somebody here today, Lord, who's struggling in their relationship, God, I pray that something will be said or done today to help them. Lord, for those who don't have a relationship with Jesus, I pray that again something would be said or done today, that the Holy Spirit might take and convict their heart and lives, and Lord, that they might realize that they need a Savior and they would be saved today. God, may you accomplish all that you want to accomplish today, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as we get into the, to the passage this morning, again, I've taken three words here, and I've kind of just honed in on them, and not really looking verse to verse so much about Ruth and, and Boaz as much as we're looking at what needed to take place or what Naomi encouraged Ruth to do before she went into the presence of Boaz because it was important. And again, you say, well, Brother Vince, is it really important to break down these words, wash and oint and, and, and put on your best garment? Well, it is because here's what's going on. If we're looking at Boaz, again, as being the kinsman redeemer, he's, he was the one who was going to redeem, redeem Ruth and Naomi there was other people that could have married her, but he was the one who, the, who could have redeemed her. Okay, so if we're looking at Boaz being a kinsman redeemer for Ruth, and we see him as a type of Christ in this book, and Ruth represents us, well, as Ruth needed to prepare herself for Boaz, listen, if Christ is the one that's going to redeem us, we need to be preparing ourselves for Christ. And, and I, I like what... Um, I don't remember who said it, but a long time ago in church when I was a teenager, I heard an elderly gentleman stand up and make this statement in one of the church services. He got up and he was getting ready to sing a special. And he was talking about living the Christian life here in this life. And he says, you know, he says, I like to think about this as just a big getting ready room. Is how this the terminology that he used. A big getting ready room. Now, I don't really know where that came from, but or if it's even good English, but it works for me. But he was talking about, he says, you know, we're just preparing ourselves here to be in the presence of Christ one day. And there's a lot of truth in that. Just as Ruth was preparing herself to go down into the presence of Boaz, you and I should be preparing ourselves to spend an eternity. Listen, we're the bride of Christ, okay? Just as a bride would get ready for her wedding, we should be getting ready to stand in the presence of Jesus one day. Uh, I like what Dr. Ed Heinsohn said, and I'll... I'll start off with this quote today because I feel like some of us might need some good news this morning. Anybody else feel like you need some good news? Oh, I think we all could use a little good news today. Amen. But, and, and it really doesn't have anything to do with what's going on in our country right now. But I found it to be good. I was reading this week and I liked it and I jotted it down. I said, I've got to share that. But he said this. He said, the book of Ruth is like a ray of sunshine at the end of a long, dark tunnel. And you've got you to realize this. The book of Ruth used to be associated with the book of Judges. They used to be together. And they separated them in, in the canon here of the, of the Bible. And they separated them. But Ruth took place during the time of the Judges. And so this is where he's coming from. He said, it was the only ray of hope after 300 years of failure and heartache. He said, just when it seemed everything was going wrong, God reminded his people that he was still protecting the promise. 300 years of the book of Judges where the people just turned their backs on God and they lived however they wanted to live and God kind of had to, he had to keep raising up judges to deliver them out of the bondage that God had allowed them to fall into because of their wickedness. But even in the, in the midst of all of that, we got this little story of Ruth and Boaz. It's hope. Why is it hope? Because Jesus, listen, God had promised Jesus he would be the Messiah. He had promised his people that a Messiah would be born. It's through Ruth and Boaz that this promise is being carried out. 
because of this lineage, it carries right on down. David would be born of this lineage here of Ruth and Boaz, and it would trickle right on down into, we look in the genealogy there in the book of Matthew in the first chapter, we see that genealogy laid out there, and Christ is a part of that. So here as we look, this is God fulfilling the promise. And church, let me tell you, honestly, Mickey Mouse could be in the White House, okay? It really wouldn't matter because you know why? God has made us a promise. He has made us a promise. And regardless of who holds the position of president, regardless of how the things go in our country, God is going to fulfill His promise. Now, it doesn't mean that we might not live through some hard times. It doesn't mean that we might not live through some hardship. It doesn't mean that it might get kind of stinky in America for a little while, because it might. But the promise is that Jesus Christ will stand in the clouds one day and rapture His church out. I cling to that promise. The promise is that I don't have to live here forever. The promise is that I'm part of the bride of Christ and He's going to come back to get me one day and I'm going to get a glorified body and I'm going to live in heaven with Him for all eternity. That's a promise. He gave me the Holy Spirit of God that lives inside of me as a down payment. He's coming back to get me. That's the promise I'm holding on to. So regardless of how America goes, I'm going to keep praying and I'm going to keep serving. I'm going to keep living the best I can as a Christian, but I'm going to cling to the promise that Jesus Christ has not relinquished His authority at all. He is still in control. It may not look like it, but He is. Trust me, He is in control. Every president that's ever served will bow at the feet of Jesus Christ one day. Every one of them. Every king that's ever walked the face of this earth will bow at his, uh, before him in his presence. So we can hold on to that hope today. Now, I want to read you this before we get started. This is something I jotted down, some thoughts. When we roll out of chapter 2 here, and I didn't bring this up last week, but as you roll out of chapter 2 of Ruth into chapter 3, you've got to understand about six weeks has taken place. Okay? About six weeks thereabout, time has transpired because the Bible tells us that Ruth had been gleaning in chapter 2. She had been going and gleaning in the field of Boaz. When we get into chapter 3, we find that they're, uh, they're harvesting. They're, they're, they're there at the threshing floor. They're separating the husk from the kernels. And so we're at the end of it here. The, the picking time is over. Now the, the kind of bringing it all, the, the season's coming to a close. So six weeks has transpired. And I think that's why we can see what's going on here in chapter 3 is because six weeks has transpired. Boaz hadn't made a move. Boaz showed some interest in Ruth and says, you, you stay in my fields. You glean in my fields. You don't go anywhere else. Well, that gave Ruth and Naomi some hope because Boaz, the kinsman redeemer. But yet six weeks of silence basically has taken place. Ruth has gone back. She's gleaned every day. She's picked in the field. Boaz has probably been a little cordial. How you doing? Good to see you, Ruth. I'm glad you're coming back. You know, little conversations. But no marriage proposals have taken place at this point. Nothing. And I believe we look at Naomi, she's getting a little nervous. I mean, think about it. Wouldn't you? He, she sees the kinsman redeemer. She sees Boaz as my ticket out, our, our Ruth's ticket out too. We need this to happen. But Ruth, Boaz is not moving very fast. And I couldn't, I couldn't help but think this week, isn't that typical of men and women? The woman's probably going, he ain't, engaged, he, ain't, he ain't asked me to marry him yet. Boaz is probably looking going, woman, I'm trying to work. You know what I'm saying? Woman, I got a, I got a job to do. You know, if I showed you interest, nothing's changed. I'm just trying to do my job. So I, I think it's a different culture, but men and women are men and women across the board, I think. So I don't think Boaz had forgot about Ruth. Boaz was just working. He was trying to get his job done. He was trying to get his crop. He, had, he probably thought, when I get all this done, I'll, I'll tend to that. But this is important. But the women, well, I won't say the women. I think Naomi was starting to get a little restless. And so she's getting Ruth, and this is what's going on here in this verse 3 that we focused on last week and that we're going to focus on again this week, is that she was getting Ruth, she was getting Ruth ready to go down and propose to Boaz. Now we're going to look at that next week, so I won't get into next week's sermon. But we see Bo uh, Naomi being a little bit forward here. But what it is is time was running out. The harvest time was almost over. And so... We see here in verse 3 that we talked about last week, she says, wash yourself. Well, today we want to talk about anointing yourself. She says, you need to wash yourself and anoint yourself. Now, as we look here at this anointing, this is what Ruth was doing. She was anointing health. She was, she was putting her best foot forward, so to speak. She was getting ready to go down and to be in the presence of Boaz. She wanted to be found appealing 
to Boaz. And so this morning, if we can take that simple little concept there of anointing herself to be appealing to Boaz, we can put that into a life application type thing for us today in 2020 right here at Waynesville. We can say, we can ask this question, how do we smell this morning? Now let that sink in just for, I'm not asking you if you put on deodorant and took a shower. That's not what I'm asking for, okay? I'm not asking that at all. I hope you did that, but that's not what I'm asking. Okay, it's not about showers and deodorants and perfumes. What I'm asking is, spiritually speaking, how do we smell this morning in the presence of God? See, Ruth went in there, bathed herself, and put on and anointed herself so that she would smell good. She wanted that when she walked into the room, Boaz took note of that and said, she smells nice. Hey, there's not a man in this room here that wouldn't say that they like the, their wives to smell good. They, they love it when they put on, I'm not saying their wives stink, okay? I'm not saying that. I have to be careful how I say stuff, Brother Andy. But, but the thing is, is we like it when, when our wives smell good. We like perfume. And so it gets our attention. That's exactly what Na uh, Ruth was wanting to do here in Boaz. But if we apply that to our life today, spiritually, if, if Boaz is a representation of Christ and Ruth is a representation of us, when we come in the presence of God, how do we smell this morning? How do we smell? And what I mean by that is, spiritually speaking, do we reek of sin? Do we stink of sin? Or have we brought our best to God this morning? And it's not just about this morning in this church house. It's about coming before God every day and bringing our best. Uh, Caleb Cruz, who's gone on to be with the Lord now, but I remember him preaching a sermon several years ago at Hickox Baptist. And it was about, I think he titled his sermon, Stinky Feet, if I'm not mistaken. Because I thought then, where is he going with this? Stinky Feet. But he talked about in his sermon about, you know, about stinking and not, and not bathing like you're supposed to. He said, here's what I've come to realize. He said, when we don't bathe like we're supposed to, and he was talking in a physical sense, he said, by the time we start smelling ourselves, everybody else has been smelling us for two weeks. That, that was what he brought out. I'll never forget that. He started bringing that. He said, he said you might not smell your own stench, but everybody else does. And I, and I thought about that from a spiritual sense. You know, we may think we're all right with God, but we may not be. In other words, we may be fooling ourselves this morning thinking we smell just fine, but God may be looking and going, you don't smell as good as you think you do. Spiritually speaking, we may not be anointed like we think we are. We may not smell as sweet as we think because what we do as Christians sometimes, we have a tendency to compare ourselves to other people and go, well, I'm not like him. Well, I'm not like her. Well, that ain't, that ain't how you, that's not how it works. You don't say, well, I'm better than that person because truthfully, no, none of us are better than anybody. What we do is up next to Jesus, what do I look like? How do I look next to Jesus? See, he's the one that we use to govern how we're living our Christian life. No, we'll never be like Christ here upon this earth. But we strive to be as holy as we can possibly be. Which means if we have sin in our lives this morning, if we're conscious of the sin in our life, it's got to go. It has to leave. It, it can't stay. And so, just as Ruth wanted to be appealing to Boaz, we should want to make ourselves appealing and presentable to God this morning. I, I tell you, there is nothing... I haven't had, I hadn't, honestly, you know, I just realized that. I haven't been to Longhorn since I moved back from Montana. And there's nothing I love better than eating a renegade steak from Longhorn Steakhouse. Anybody else like that? Man, that is good. The, the menu says that they put, they sprinkle it with prairie dust. I don't know what prairie dust is, but that's some good stuff. It might be dirt off the kitchen floor, but it's good. And so when I go there, I always get the renegade steak and I usually get like steamed vegetables, and I, I'm good with that. That's what I like. I love it. Broccoli steamed and all. But as much as I like that steak, if they were to walk out of that back of that restaurant and have my renegade steak sitting on a trash can lid, it would not be very appealing to me. I would say, I don't want that. I, I, I would prefer a plate and a new steak at this point because that one's been on a trash can lid. But is, not, is that not how we bring our, our blessing or our, bring our... our Worship, I should say, or praise to God. Sometimes we bring it on a trash can lid. You say, Brother Vance, what does that mean? We think we're bringing our best to God, but if we're bringing it through dirty vessels, it's like bringing a steak to God on a, on a trash can lid. 
It's not impressive. Hey, listen, if you're not living your life for Christ every day of the week like you should be, and you come into this church and think you can serve in ministry, God's not impressed. He's not impressed at all. It's not about the stuff you do. It's about the life you live. And if the stuff you do doesn't line up with the life you live, then it's just a bunch of stuff. That's all it is, is a bunch of stuff. It's a stake on a, on a trash can lid. That's all it is. And God's not impressed. So if we, listen, if Naomi, I'll get the name right in a minute, if Ruth wanted to be appealing to Boaz, we should want to be appealing to Christ this morning. And listen, church, Christ knows what our heart and life looks like. Wearsby made this comment on the anointing oil, and this is, this is in Bible, you'll see this represented a lot. He says, the anointing oil speaks of the presence and the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives as Christians in today's time. He said, all believers have received the anointing of the Spirit, and therefore we ought to be a fragrance of Christ to the Heavenly Father. I got a couple of reference scriptures I'll read to you quickly before we move on. He's, in 1 John 2.20, John wrote this, the Apostle John says, but you have an anointing from the Holy One and you know all things. And then in the first part of verse 27 of the same chapter, John wrote this, he said, but the anointing which you have received from Him abides in you and you do not need that anyone teach you. And then Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 2.15, he says, for we are to, to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Now, think about this just for a second. Paul wrote there, he says, we are to God the fragrance of Christ. The fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved. Let that sink in for a second. Among those who are being saved. Kind of made me think this week, are we contagious? Not, not, and I know we know what contagious means because that's one of the things we're worried about right now is people are contagious. But from a Christian's point of view, your Christianity, is it contagious? Do people want what you have? They should. In other words, we should be so different than the world today as we live out our Christian lives. People should be able to look and go, I don't know what he's got, but I want some of it. I don't know, I don't know what makes him different, but man, he's different. I want what he has. People should want what we have today. We should look so different than the world, and we should, honestly, and I struggle with this too, church. I, I'll admit it. But as Christians, we have no reason to walk around like we just lost our best friend. Or we have a case of the mully grubs, as my mom used to say, mully grubs. I don't even know what that is, but it's, it means bad. If you walk around with your bottom lip dragging the ground all the time. As Christians, even though life is not the way we want it sometimes, and life can be very discouraging, very discouraging, we still have something to smile about. We still have a reason to sing. You want people to look at you funny? Walk through Walmart singing a, a, a church song. See, I'm serious. They'll look at you like, what is wrong with that guy? But they'll take note of it. And people sometimes will look at you, and, and, and sometimes, hey, I was walking through a store, it's been a couple years ago now, and I didn't even realize I was doing it, but I was in a pretty good mood. And I was walking through a store, I think it was Walmart and Waycross, and I was singing a church song, it was Monday, and I, man, I was just feeling good. And I was walking through there, and I was singing it, and I didn't realize I was singing it as loud as I was. And this lady walked by me. And she, and honestly, she walked by. She was an Afri African American lady. She walked by me, and she heard me singing, and she said, "Mm-hmm, thank you, Jesus." And I said, "I thought, what? You know, I thought you're talking to me." And I stopped and I looked at her. I gave her a look. She goes, "The song you were singing." I, what was I singing? You know, I mean, I really wasn't even aware. And she says, uh, well, "You were singing this song," and she, and I said, "Oh, oh yeah." I said, "You're right. I was singing." That. I said, "I wasn't even aware that I was singing it loud enough for you to hear it." And she goes, and I heard you sing it. She said, I was just thinking, mm, thank you, Jesus. She said, because he's good. And I thought, you're right, he is. And so what I'm seeing is sometimes, sometimes that little bit might be the encouragement that somebody else needs in their life. So listen, be contagious. Be different. Don't be like everybody else. Let the, let the Holy Spirit work in your life. Church, hear me. Just as, just as Ruth needed to anoint herself to go down into the presence of Boaz, we need the Holy Spirit in our lives, working in order for us to live our life out as a Christian here upon this earth. To do ministry, we need the Holy Spirit. Sin, the Holy Spirit helps us to recognize the sin in our lives and get it out. To get it out. We need the Holy Spirit in our lives to help us live 
here in this world so that we don't stink, spiritually speaking. I'll share this with you real quick, like, and I, I thought about it all of a sudden. Still thinking about Caleb and his stinky feet. Doing youth ministry for the last 15 years, back and two, off and on, and uh, before I moved to Montana, we had done the youth ministry work there for five years at Patterson. And if you've ever done youth work and you've taken kids to camp, if you've ever done, if you've ever gone and stayed somewhere for a week of camp, some of the most fun I've ever had in my life. It's also the most tiring thing I've ever done in my life too, because it's like working 24 hours a day for five days in a row, and you get home and and you, and you get back to church on Sunday, and you have those church members that go, "How'd you like your vacation?" You know. You got to go stay at the beach for a week. That must have been nice. I like. I'm sure it was not a vacation. But uh, normally, I would stay. I would always hope that I had enough adults that I could put an adult in every hotel room or college dorm room wherever we had to be going to camp at. So it usually would be like three boys and one man, or or three girls and one woman. You know, we kind of break it up. And I'd always. Uh, I always enjoyed staying with my youth boys that week, and I would only have three that I was actually rooming with, but I would enjoy uh, doing that. It's a lot of fun. Man, that was absolutely a blast. But something that I would always inevitably have to say about halfway through my week, it always, always comes up. Y'all know where I'm going with this. Does anybody know what Axe body spray is? You know? And I would always have to tell my boys about Wednesday. Boys, acts don't fix everything, okay? <laughs> and so we would normally leave on Monday morning for camp. And it would hit me about Wednesday as I walked back into my hotel room on a break and go, man, it stinks in here. What are you guys doing? And then I start realizing that they're not showering like they're supposed to. This is middle school boys, okay? I'm not talking about high school boys. Middle school boys, which is some of, my, some of the most fun to work with because... Once they hit high school, some of them become so cool they don't know how to have fun anymore. But middle school kids are old enough that they're not elementary kids anymore. So they're that kind of in-between. They still like to have fun and cut up and be goofy. I love that, okay? But they also struggle with the hygiene aspect, too. They have to be, you know. And so they don't shower. They get hot and sweaty, and they'll come in before the worship service at night and just spray Axe all over. So now I'm spelling B-O and Axe, you know? And my room just reeks of B.O. and Axe. And I'm like, look, guys, all of you taking showers tonight. I will stand here and make sure you have one. You know, we have to bathe. And so, but as I would try to tell them, you can't just add more perfume or, or more body spray or more cologne. That don't work. You've got to wash the filth off from time to time and start over, okay? And put on some fresh clothes if you're not doing that either. But we're kind of the same way as Christians. We, we, we let these sins just build up in our lives and we live ungodly lives, but we think we could just show up at church on Sundays or on Wednesdays and just throw on some more spiritual body wash or body uh, spray a little bit and it'll just cover up the stench. No. Our sins stench before God, okay? It stinks. He sees us for who we are. He smells us for who we are. And we need to be coming before God every day and saying, God, forgive me. I messed up again. I didn't mean to mess up, but I messed up, Okay? see, that fleshly nature lives inside of all of us. And nobody has to try real hard to mess up, do they? It just kind of flows. It's who we are. It's in our DNA. We are sinners. We're just sinners saved by grace if we're saved today. But we do still sin. But we need to come before God and we need to get those sins out of our lives and we need to clean up. This is what the Holy Spirit of God does in our life. He points as, as we pray to God every day, He guides us and He directs us and He shows us these things. Matter of fact, the Apostle John wrote in the Gospel of John 16, 13. He said, however, when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth. For He will not speak on His own authority. But whatever He hears, He will speak and He will tell you things to come. Church, it, it, honestly, Francis Chan wrote a book a long time ago, probably 12 years ago now, I'm just guessing. But he wrote a book called The Forgotten God. The Holy Spirit is the forgotten God. He's as much God as the Father or the Son. He is God, the Holy Spirit, okay? He's a part of the Trinity. He is the third part of the Trinity there. But we forget about him sometimes. When you guys say the Holy Spirit of God moved in, you cannot live without him. Okay? You cannot minister without Him. You need Him. But how many times do we rush into things without even stopping and consulting God and saying, God, I need you to work. And when we say, God, I need you to work in my life, that's the Holy Spirit working in us. 
I'll give you a fine example, and, I, and I'll move on quickly here. But I had a homework assignment that I worked on Thursday night, and I told Connie I, got, I wanted to go hunting so bad Friday morning. Gosh, I wanted to go hunting, but I knew I didn't have time. I had this homework assignment. If you were here Wednesday night, it's, uh, it, it's, it involves a lot of English. It, it, it involves diagramming sentences. Anybody ever done that? I barely did it in high school. I don't even know how. I, don't, I, barely, I mean, I, I probably cheated to get by then. I don't know because I didn't know how to do it then. Yeah, I confess to cheating in high school, okay? I, <laughs> look, I have not always been a pastor, okay? So there's a lot worse things than that. But anyway, but, so I'm sitting here trying to do something that I haven't done in over 30 years. And I got up Monday morning, and I was stressed, and I knew, God, I have got to get this. I had two assignments due on, on the first 30 verses of Philippians. I had to go through and diagram every one of those verses. Then I had to go through and I had to break it up into sentences. And then I had to go through and, and ask questions. I mean, I, I just looked at it and I thought, God, I, is my degree that important? I don't know because I'm about to lose my mind. And I, and I sit down at my computer Monday morning and I thought, Lord, I have got to finish this today. And you know, when I was about to dive into that thing and I stopped and I thought, Lord, you led me to, to, to pursue this degree. You're the one that told me I needed to do this, and I know this class didn't catch you off guard, but it has caught me off guard because I didn't see it coming. I didn't know I'd have to do this. So I pushed my chair back from my computer, and I, leaned, I just leaned forward, and I said, Lord, I believe you can help me with this as much as you can help me with anything else I do in my life. I need help. Lord, I don't know how to diagram sentences, but I believe you probably do. I mean, you know, that, that may sound goofy to y'all, but I believe God can do anything. And I said, Lord, help me to at least put something on the paper. Even if it's wrong, I just need to put something down. And the best I could do it. I remember praying for God to help me. And man, I dived into that thing at about 7.30 or 8 o'clock that morning. By 12.30, I had submitted both my assignments and I was like, I'm done. It almost seemed surreal. Like, did I really just finish that? You know, and I made good grades on both of them. I was pumped. So anyway, but what I'm trying to say is the Holy Spirit is there to help us to guide us. When we seek Him, He's there to guide us in the things that we're trying to do is in ministry. We can't do it without Him. We can't operate without, without God helping us. And I'm about to move on to point three, but let me read you one quote by A.W. Tozer. He said, if God... Now, this is a sad comment, but I believe there's a lot of truth in it. He said, if God were to take the Holy Spirit out of this world, he said, much of what the church is doing would go right on and nobody would know the difference. I believe there's a lot of truth in that. A lot of truth in that statement by A.W. Tozer because I think we operate on our daily lives and in our ministries in our lives based on what we can do. I believe if we operated based on what God could do, we might see a lot more happen in our churches and in our Christian lives. We might not be as stressed. We might see more people come to know the Lord. But I'm as guilty as anybody of just going right into something and, and trying to do the best I can at it. When I ought to stop before I pursue anything, go, God, I need your help. Lord, just as Ruth needed to be anointed, God, I need the anointing of the Holy Spirit in my life, walking ahead of me and guiding me in these truths as I try to minister for you. And the third thing is this. We need to change our clothes. This is what Ruth was being told here. She's, Naomi said, therefore, wash yourself, anoint yourself, and put on your best garment and go down to the threshing floor. Put on your best garment. Last Sunday we were here, uh, I think it was Sunday, that, yeah, it was Sunday that we, we were celebrating, Connie and I were celebrating our, our, our 28th wedding anniversary. And I remember still to the first date, and I've shared this with you guys before, and I won't give you the great details of it, but I'll just give you this one aspect of it. And it's still funny when I look back, I laugh. But I remember when I finally convinced her to go out with me, I went out and bought a brand new pair of, of, of black high-top Reeboks. Like that was going to impress her. I don't know why I did that. But I wanted to put my best foot forward. No pun intended. I, but I wanted, to, I wanted to put my best foot forward. I wanted to look my best. Man, I bound up my best jeans. Now, this was back in the uh, early 90s, so this was dressed up for me for a black high-top Reeboks. I was only 22. So a uh, black high-top Reeboks, uh, a pair of jeans, and a shirt. And that's how I dressed, okay? And, uh, and I thought I was rolling pretty, pretty smooth, to be honest with you. You know, had my metallic blue Pontiac Sunbird. I mean, I thought I looked pretty impressive, to be honest with you. Look back now, and I realize I wasn't that impressive at all, but I thought I was then, though. But so, it, you know, we, we, we try to dress to impress a lot of people. 
Some of you may have dressed to impress somebody here this morning. But how do we dress to impress Christ? And I'm not talking physically dressed this morning, although I don't think that's a bad idea either. That's a whole other sermon. But spiritually speaking, how are we dressed this morning in the presence of Christ? Have we put on our, uh, so to speak, are we clothed in the righteousness of God as we should be? Because see, here what's going on. Naomi told Ruth, she said, put on your best garment. And basically what some commentators think is that she had been in a, a state of mourning for so long because of losing her husband. There was, a, there was a process in this culture of a time of mourning, and she would have dressed a certain way. But now that her time of mourning is over, and now to show her interest in Boaz, Ruth, uh, Ruth was told by Naomi to go in there to wash, anoint yourself, and put on your best garment. The time of mourning's over. Now it's time to move on. And so this is what she's told to do. Because why? She wanted to impress Boaz. We see here in, in the Bible as we study out Scripture that oftentimes garments or clothing is used in a spiritual spiritual way. Uh, back up the Genesis with me quickly here. And I, I'm hurrying. I, I know I'm getting kind of long this morning. I almost only did point one, but I didn't want to drag this sermon out for another week. But go to Genesis 3. I said Genesis 1. Go to Genesis 3. Notice something here, and I'm going to do this quickly, okay? I'll move fast. But if you'll notice here in Genesis 3, we see the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden. It says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes... And a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And notice verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Jump to verse 21 in a hurry. A lot takes place in between verse 8 and 21, but we won't read the whole thing to you. Verse 21 says, Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin, and he clothed them. Now, uh, a deep theological meaning to this is this, that when that animal died, because that's the only way they would have got skins in that garden, is that God killed an animal. There is no other way. So he killed an animal... And he clothed them in, their, in that skin. That animal is, a, is a, a foreshadow or a representation of the death that Christ would suffer one day on the cross so that you and I could be clothed in righteousness. Because see, Adam and Eve stood there as sinners, naked before God. God took a sacrifice, took the skins from that sacrifice and clothed them. Which is really awesome because when we think about putting on, Ruth putting on that best garment or being clothed, that's exactly what Jesus did for us. As God clothed Adam and Eve, He is the one who clothes us. I like what John Wolverd said in, in a theological book of his, I Have a Home. He said, the skin with which God clothed Adam and Eve perpetually reminded them of God's provision. He said, similarly, in the fullness of time, God accepted the sacrifice of Christ and on the basis of that atonement, the close, he closed believers in righteousness. So we see that this animal here is representation of what was to come. But listen, when we got saved, so to speak, when we came to know Christ personally, we were clothed in the righteousness of Christ which means we should live differently. Amen? We shouldn't look the way we used to look. We shouldn't act the way we used to act. We shouldn't talk the way we used to talk. Why? Because we've been clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Isaiah 61.10, he says this. He says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. May my soul be joyful in my God, for He has clothed me with the garments of salvation. 
He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. Colossians, and I'm going to read this to you and, I, and we're done flipping for today. Or at least I think so. No, I, I, it's a lie. i got a couple more spots. Got you guys all excited for nothing. Colossians chapter 3, verse 8 says, But now you yourselves, Paul writes, are to put off these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. He says, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on, listen, like you would put on a garment, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or do, deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Just as Ruth, listen to me, church, just as Ruth needed to change to go into God's presence or into Boaz's presence, we must put off the old man, put on the new to come into God's presence. And if we got saved, if we're Christians this day, we should be living as new creations in Christ. But sadly enough, too many of us today are professing to be Christians and we're still living as the old person. We shouldn't be doing that. Look, God saved us from that. Leave that alone and move forward. I'll give you a, a great quote here and I'm getting ready to close. Anybody know who Joni Erickson Tata is? A lot of you probably do, yes. Uh, to kind of give you a background on her real quick, like there was a movie that I watched about her a long, long time ago when I was a kid. But she was in a diving accident, if my memory serves me correctly, back in the 70s, and it left her as a quadriplegic. And so uh, she's, she's not able to dress herself. And I was reading something about her one day, and, and I thought this was just, it spoke volumes to me. She's not able to get herself dressed, but she's writing about the, the righteousness of God and how we're clothed in it. She made this statement. She said, garments of salvation and robes of righteousness. She said, this is something we absolutely cannot provide for ourselves. She said, God provides the salvation and the righteousness. Oh, yes, we can clothe ourselves with Christ, as it says in Galatians, but it's His righteousness, not ours. She goes on to say, and so righteousness is something which God does to us and for us. There is nothing in ourselves and we just cannot get ourselves dressed, so to speak, in righteousness. And as I read that that day of a woman who's paralyzed and who cannot dress herself, she has to have somebody help her. And there's so much more to that story as I was reading. She said, I have to have somebody come in and clothe me every day. She said, how humbling that is that I, a grown woman, cannot put my own clothes on. I have to have help. She said, but one day as somebody was clothing me, she said, it occurred to me that as a Christian, I can't clothe myself either. She said, I had to humble myself and realize, God, that apart from you, I'm nothing. I am absolutely nothing. She said, the righteousness in Jesus Christ that I stand and, and, and boast about as a Christian, I realized that apart from Christ, I could not do that. Now, church, that's a very humbling thought this morning. Is it not? It may not be to you, but it is to me to realize that, listen, we live our lives sometimes like we think it's ours to live. If you're a Christian, it's not yours. It's His. Your life belongs to God. And we walk in and out of church sometimes like God ought to be thankful we're on His team. 
And we minister so many days without His help. But church, hear me. Apart from the righteousness of Christ, we are nothing. We are dead in our trespasses and sins and on our way to hell. We are nothing. The Bible says that our righteousness is nothing but filthy rags. We cannot breathe. We can't walk. We can't save ourselves. We can't do anything apart from Jesus Christ. And we need to realize this morning that we need to be clothed in His righteousness because our righteousness is not going to get it done. And you say, well, Brother Vance, what does that mean? It means as a Christian, we need to be living like Christians. But if you're here today and you don't know Jesus personally, hear me and hear me with all the love that I can muster. I'm going to say this. Sitting in this church won't make you right with God. It just won't do it. You can read your Bible every day. You can quote scripture uh, from Genesis to Revelation. Won't make you right with God. You can be the most awful person that's ever lived. Still ain't going to get you into hell any faster than not being saved. You can't get to Jesus. You can't get to heaven apart from being saved through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. You cannot do it. And if you're here today and you think that I'm going to stand before God one day and I'm a pretty good person, He'll let me in, you are mistaken. The Bible says that if your name's not written in the Lamb's book of life, which means you had to have been saved through the blood of Christ, then He will not welcome you in. And I say that with love and a heavy heart because I've known a lot of people that I thought very highly of that did not go to heaven based on their testimony and the life that they lived. And I sure would hate to see that for you. But apart from a conscious decision to say, Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner and I can't save myself. I need you to forgive me of my sins and save me. Lord, would you please forgive me of my sins and save me. Apart from you crying out to God, believing in your heart, confessing with your mouth, as Paul wrote in Romans, you cannot be saved. You must confess that you're a sinner and that you need Jesus. He doesn't need us, but we need Him. We can't get ourselves dressed today. One last place. I had other scriptures that I gave uh, Ron, but I think I'm going to stop with this one. Romans. In the book of Romans, I want to I end with what, what, what uh, Paul said here. Romans chapter 13. Paul wrote this. And church, I don't think any scripture has ever meant more to me than this this morning, okay? Uh, it's good. I think it, it, it applies. But Paul wrote in Romans 13, verse 11 through 14, he said, and do this. He's talking about putting on Christ. He said, and do this, knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Now, you may say, well, what does Paul mean by that now that our salvation is nearer than we first believed? What that means is this. If you're a born-again Christian this morning, if you've come to that place in your life where you ask Christ to forgive you of your sins and save you, you are in fact saved. The Holy Spirit of God, as I've already said, is the down payment that God is coming back to get you. But your salvation will not be complete until God calls you home. And you stand in the presence of God Almighty. Until you walk through the gates, your salvation is not complete. We're in a sanctification process. We've been justified by the blood of Christ. We're learning to live like Christ every day. But it won't be finalized until we get in. Now, it's not going to be un... God's not going to revoke anything halfway. It just won't be completed until you get there. That's why Paul said it's time to wake out of your sleep and know that your salvation is nearer than we first believed. What does that mean? That means that we're closer today to Jesus Christ standing in the clouds than we were yesterday. We are a lot closer. And we might be closer to death than we think we are. We don't know. But he says the night is far spent. The day is at hand. And it is. Christ could come back at any moment. He said, therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness. Church, listen to that. Cast off the works of darkness. Let us put on the armor of light. There's that armor again, Brother Amy. You preached about it the other day. He said, let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy. He says, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provisions for the flesh to feel, fulfill its lust. 
Church, if there's ever been a time that we need to get up, wash ourselves, spiritually speaking, clean ourselves up, allow the Holy Spirit of God to work in our lives and be the church that we're supposed to be, it's now. There's never been a time that the church, I don't think, needed to stand up more than it needs to stand up right now in my lifetime. Because there is darkness around every corner. And we, we think about our election that just took place. I got to wonder how many Christians voted for a Democratic Party. And I'm sorry if that offends you. That's okay. I don't really don't care at this point anymore. If you leave the church because I said that, leave, I guess. But I don't know how you could vote for a party. It wasn't about a man. I don't know how you could vote for a party as a Christian that kills unborn babies. That right there is a deal breaker for me. I'm done at that point. When you said I stand for abortion, I can't vote for you. But I wonder how many Christians voted that this past week. And you listen, you can't vote that way and call yourself a Christian. It doesn't work. Not when Jesus says, I love all the little children. Let them come to me. Think of all the babies that are walking into heaven or however that works. I don't know what their age is like when they get there. But that, but that we're killing in America. And we call it a choice. And as Christians, we support that sometimes. And we, listen, and we stand for things. Gosh, man, we got things in our country where we can't decide what bathroom to use. Come on, church. We got things going on now where, where transgenders have rights when God says that's an abomination to me. And we're standing up for those things. And I'd be willing to say that there were Christians in our country that voted to have those laws passed and carried on. You can't do both. If you're going to stand for God, then those things that are wrong to God has got to be wrong to you. And if we don't learn to stand up for those things, then we get what we deserve. The problem today is not with the lost world. The problem is with the church. The church is not being what it needs to be. Until the church quits dabbling in sin and starts living the life that Jesus has called us to live, we're going to get what we're getting. It starts right here. It doesn't start anywhere else. I'm not against the Republican Party. I'm not against the Democratic Party. I'm not against Trump or Biden. I'm against Christians who say they're Christians and are standing up for things that aren't godly. That's what the issue I have. Church, it is time we fall on our faces and we quit playing church because, listen, the time of our salvation is at hand. This could be the last sermon I ever preach. I may get killed in a car accident going home today. I hope not, but I don't know, and you don't either. You have no idea what tomorrow holds. You don't know when you're going to stand before Jesus, and neither do I. It is time for us to quit playing church and start living for Jesus. Let us pray. Father God, I love you this morning. Lord, I pray that you would help us today as Christians and as a church to stand for what is right. God, you have so burdened my heart with that this week that God, regardless of anything else, Lord, you've shown me in your word what is right. God, help me just to keep pushing forward and being what you've called me to be regardless of what anybody else does. And God, you called me to preach. You called me to pastor. You didn't call me to pat people on the back and make them feel good. God, that's not what you call me for. I don't want to stand in your presence one day, God, and, and just prettied up the gospel. I don't want to stand before your presence one day, Lord, and not have preached the whole truth of God. And, Lord, if your word says it's wrong, it's wrong. If it's right, it's right. And, God, I may catch flack for that. But, God, I'd rather stand on your side and have the whole world against me than to stand with the world and have you against me. God, I pray that would be our heart this morning, Lord, that we would want to make you pleased with us today as Christians and as a church. God, I pray for boldness. I pray for strength this morning to be the man that you've called me to be. Even when my flesh battles and wars against me, God, help me just to pray that much harder. God, help me to pursue you that much harder and that the Holy Spirit would have full reign in my life, God, and that I wouldn't quench the Spirit as he, as he works. God, I pray that for every person in here today, Lord, that we would make decisions that would make you pleased with us. And God, if we have sin in our life this morning, God, help us to get it out. Help us to quit dabbling and living that way, but to live a holy 
life before you. God, we love you and we pray this invitation will be used to bring you honor and glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would, please stand this morning.